You're listening to Ready, Set, Israel, bringing you the latest out of Israel and the Middle East every week. Let's get into it. The Israeli-Palestinian conflict has seen some of the greatest unrest in the past few days than it has endured in the past few years. Today, Blake and I are here to break it all down. The month of Ramadan has been riddled with clashes throughout Jerusalem, Jaffa, and the rest of Israel as police restricted celebratory gatherings and Palestinians lashed out in response. This week, we are seeing an alarming escalation of violence that stemmed out of calls for evictions in the East Jerusalem neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah. Right-wing Jewish ideologues have been hoping to evict multiple Palestinian families from properties in Sheikh Jarrah. This neighborhood is the site of the tomb of Shimon Tzadik, a second Temple-era Jewish priest. For decades, this dispute has been litigated in court, culminating in a February decision which upheld a lower court decision that would require Palestinian residents to vacate certain properties. The parties were given until May 6th to settle the dispute outside of court. Various NGOs, campaigns surrounding these events have brought the issue to the forefront of the international media. As submissions to the International Criminal Court allege that Israeli actions during this dispute could be considered as war crimes. The situation is quite complicated in Sheikh Jarrah, but we've seen it devolve into a broader clashing of narratives, ideologies, and now days of escalating violence. As Palestinians gathered to celebrate the last Friday of Ramadan at the Al-Aqsa Mosque, some use this as an opportunity to protest the recent decisions out of Israeli court, in addition to the clashes that we saw occurring in Sheikh Jarrah this week between Israeli settlers and Palestinian residents. Jerusalem police and Palestinian worshipers continue to clash throughout Sunday evening and all day Monday. The Al-Aqsa Mosque sits on top of the Jewish holy site of the Temple Mount. This area is particularly significant to both Jews and Muslims. Hundreds were injured, mostly Palestinians. On Monday, Hamas began firing rockets at Israel in response to recent violence. The terrorist group put out an ultimatum on Israel to pull police out of the Temple Mount or risk heavier fire. Israeli police ended up leaving the compound, but in the days since Hamas has fired over 1,050 rockets into Israel, targeting primarily civilian areas near the Gaza Strip, such as Ashkelon, Stavot, and Ashdod as well as other metropolitan centers such as Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. Many Israelis have spent their nights in bomb shelters, hiding from rocket fire as as Israel's Iron Dome missile defense system went to work trying to intercept as many rockets as they can coming from Gaza. Dozens of Israelis have been injured and at least six killed by Hamas rocket fire. Israel has responded to the rocket fire by hitting more than 500 Hamas terror targets in Gaza and killing various Hamas leaders. According to the Hamas-led Palestinian Health Ministry, 320 Palestinian civilians have been injured and at least 53 killed in in the Israeli response in Gaza. Although Israel alleges that most killed are Hamas operatives or leadership. This has been an incredibly tense last few days and there's still a lot to uncover. To help us sift through these recent escalations, we are joined by Avi Mayer. Managing Director of Global Communications at the American Jewish Community, who is on the ground in Jerusalem right now. Avi, thank you so much for being here. First and foremost, how are you doing and are you safe? Uh, thank you both for having me. Um, I, I, am, I am safe, uh, at least for the moment. Um, I'm here at my home in Jerusalem, um, where we had uh, some rocket fire on the first day of this escalation two days ago. Um, I was sitting at my computer doing some work when I heard uh, the air raid sirens uh, not too far away. Um, I quickly scooped up my cat and sat in the 
the furthest corner in my apartment from the windows so that if there were a rocket uh, that would fall outside, um, I'd be as far from any shrapnel as possible. Um, since then, um, things have been relatively calm in Jerusalem, but they've been decidedly less calm elsewhere in the country, um, where more than a thousand rockets have slammed into Israeli towns and cities, uh, killing at least six people um, and wounding hundreds more. Um, this is a very dangerous situation. Uh, Hamas has now threatened to launch another volley of rockets uh, in just over an hour, um, possibly including Jerusalem. Um, and so the situation is quite tenuous. And I have to say, uh, while I feel uh, safe for myself, um, I'm deeply concerned about my friends in other parts of the country who have not been as fortunate, uh, many of whom spent all night uh, in bomb shelters, uh, afraid for their own lives, the lives of their children, their loved ones. Um, this is a very dangerous situation indeed. So let's dive into the spark of this week's escalation, the Sheikh Dara decisions and impending evictions of Palestinian residents. There's been a lot of mis misinformation being spread to prop up various narratives. Can you give us a little bit of a background on the situation as it hasn't litigated in court for the past few decades? What are the various responses, disagreements, and possible future scenarios as a result of this case? I'd be happy to do that. Uh, but before I do, I, I want to clarify something. Um, the Sheikh Jarrah case, uh, while complicated um, and certainly one that inspires tremendous emotions on both sides, was not the spark of this conflict. The spark of this conflict on a fundamental level uh, is Hamas's refusal to uh, countenance the existence of Israel in any part of the country. Um, certainly uh, in recent weeks, Hamas and other uh, Palestinian actors, including the Palestinian Authority, have been inflaming tensions in Jerusalem around Ramadan. Um, this goes back several weeks now. There have been riots every single night. I've heard the riots from my home in Jerusalem. I've heard uh, sirens and helicopters overhead. I've heard police responding with riot dispersal means. Um, so while the Sheikh Jarrah uh, situation has certainly contributed uh, to the tensions, it has not been the spark for them. And I think it's important to clarify that. Um, the Sheikh Jarrah case is, is a complicated one. Um, it goes back well over 100 years uh, when Jewish families moved into the area known as Sheikh Jarrah, which is now in the eastern part of Jerusalem over what's referred to as the Green Line. Um, they acquired land there, they settled in the, in the territory, um, but when the area was taken over by Jordan in the 1948 War of Independence, uh, they were of course forced to leave. Um, and the Jordanians passed that land over to uh, Palestinian families that had come from what is now uh, sovereign Israel um, and enabled them to settle there. Um, they lived there for quite a few years until in 1967, uh, the land was reclaimed uh, by the state of Israel. Um, and since that time, there's been a protracted uh, series of uh, legal discussions on who the land belongs to. Uh, the heirs of the Jews who had been there originally, who've actually, uh, the, the land has been passed along, the deeds have been passed along from one group to another, um, have managed to uh, present the original deed that has been accepted by the Israeli Supreme Court as authentic, showing that they are indeed the owners of the land. The Palestinian uh, families who live there have presented their own documentation from the Ottoman period, uh, and then later from uh, the Jordanian period, attempting to show that they're the, the legal uh, owners of the land, that those arguments have been struck down by the Israeli Supreme Court, who say, uh, who has said that that is indeed, uh, many of the documents are actually forgeries. And these are cases that have been going on since the early 1970s, so certainly nothing new. Um, it has 
gotten to a point where this past week there was to have been a court case, uh, a hearing that would have uh, perhaps had the uh, ownership in, indeed confirmed by the uh, Jewish uh, heirs, um, which had the potential of seeing the, the Palestinian families who lived there uh, evicted from their homes. Um, that decision has now been postponed at the request of the Israeli Attorney General, so as not to inflame, to inflame the tensions further. Um, and it's certainly possible that they could reach some kind of settlement in the future. Um, the court had asked that the Palestinian and Jewish uh, claimants come to some, some sort of a compromise last week. The Palestinian side refused, that they will not compromise on this. Um, it's possible that they still will. It's also possible that the Israeli government will step in uh, and seize the property and do with it as it sees fit. Um, but this is indeed a, a complicated uh, real estate case, um, but it's certainly not the cause of the current conflict. Thanks, Harvey. Uh, so as we saw on the Temple Mount and around the Al-Aqsa complex, uh, between Palestinian worshippers and Israeli police, um, which resulted in the injury of some 700 Palestinians and 32 cops, um, these riots began after police said worshippers were hauling stones and fireworks from the holy site at police. Uh, prompting police to enter the compound and responding with rubber bullets, stun grenades, and tear gas. Uh, was this the right move by Israeli police to quell extremists stoking uh, tensions in the group of worshippers to incite violence? Well, it's important to note that never in history uh, has there been greater freedom of worship in Jerusalem than there has been since the city was reunited under Jewish rule in 1967. Um, this has been the case for decades now. Uh, in fact, you may know that uh, when Israel took control of the eastern part of the city uh, in the Six-Day War, uh, Moshe Dayan, who was the commander of the IDF at the time, uh, took the, the keys of the Haram al-Sharif, the Temple Mount, and handed them over to the Muslim authorities and said, we, we recognize that you have authority here. and We would like for you to continue uh, controlling the site. That has been the case ever since. Um, there is a tremendous freedom of Muslim worship on the Temple Mount at the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Uh, while it should be noted, Jews are strictly prohibited from praying there under any circumstances. Um, and this is something uh, that remains true uh, at this time and has been true for the past month. Uh, Jews uh, have not been permitted to go there while Muslims have. Um, and Muslims have been permitted to pray there in great numbers during Ramadan as well. Um, as you note, there were uh, riots and there were tensions um, in the weeks leading up to this point. Um, there have been uh, clear indications, including video footage and photographs of uh, Palestinians uh, amassing large caches of arms in the Al-Aqsa Mosque, in the holy site itself, which is absolutely egregious. Um, and so I don't think the, the Israeli authorities had any choice but to go in um, and deal with that in some way. Um, certainly, the images were unpleasant. Uh, I didn't enjoy seeing them. I think any time uh, any kind of law enforcement activity needs to take place in a holy site, it's something none of us would like to see. Uh, but I certainly don't think that Israel had any choice but to do so in this case. That's a good point. So this riding extended into Monday as Jerusalem Day began, and Israel made the decision to bar Jewish visitors from the Temple Mount as well as reroute the annual parade by nationalist Jews through the old city of Jerusalem in order to limit the chances of those direct confrontations between Jews and Muslims living there. Despite these efforts, we continue to see violence and condemnation as an Israeli man lost control of his vehicle as riders pelted his car with stones and various expressions of concern came from the UN, Europe, and the US. 
So what else could have been done to de-escalate the situation, allowing safe worshiping and celebrations while also minimizing the criticism that we're seeing coming out of this? It seems like whatever Israel does, it ends up being in a tough spot with the media. Well, the primary thing that could have been done to reduce tensions would have been for the Palestinian Authority, Hamas, and other Palestinian groups not to incite violence in Jerusalem. Um, that has been the, the uh, origin of this violence of the tensions in recent weeks. It continues to be so to this day. Uh, Hamas has viewed it as being in its interest to inflame tensions in Jerusalem for its own political purposes, which I'm not going to go into now because they're frankly irrelevant, uh, but they've done so openly. Uh, just this past weekend, a uh, senior Hamas figure went on Palestinian television and called on uh, Palestinians in uh, Jerusalem to purchase five shekel knives and behead Jews in the streets of Jerusalem. Um, this has been ongoing. This is nothing new. It's been, it's been the case since Hamas came into being uh, more than 30 years ago. And so as the situation continues to develop, um, I don't see how Israel could have done anything more than it did to reduce tensions in the area. As you note, uh, the decision was to bar Jews entirely from the Temple Mount. Not only were they not permitted to pray there, but now they weren't even able to visit there on Jerusalem Day, which of course is a day of tremendous significance to many Israelis and many Jews. Um, and the traditional flag march through the city of Jerusalem was rerouted so as to avoid potential points of conflict between the marchers um, and the Muslim and Palestinian residents of the old city. Uh, beyond that, I don't know what more could have been done. And as you say, uh, even those steps, which were fairly significant in themselves, uh, didn't have the desired effect of reducing tensions, much to the contrary, since Hamas was indeed committed to inflaming tensions to the extent they possibly could, uh, those have now escalated into what appears to be an all-out conflict. So in addition to the clashes that, we, that we've seen on the ground so far, uh, Hamas has issued an ultimatum for Israel to either vacate the Al-Aqsa compound or endure a barrage of rocket fire, which they've engaged in. Um, at this point, we've seen at least 1,050 rockets fired by Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad at Jerusalem and other various southern Israeli communities throughout Monday and Tuesday night and uh, ended Wednesday morning, uh, sending Israeli missile defense systems, such as the Iron Dome, into action to prevent further civilian injuries and death. Um, Israel has responded by hitting various Hamas targets in Gaza, closing the Karam Shalom crossing, which is vital to Gaza between it and the Gaza Strip, and striking a attack tunnel that Hamas has created. Two Israelis in the city of Ashkelon were killed Tuesday morning from a direct hit. Uh, can you give us a little insight as to how it feels on the ground? And can you also describe how Israelis are processing the escalation and surge in rocket violence, as this is nothing new for some citizens? Well, I, I'll say that the situation on the ground is quite tense. Um, on the one hand, uh, many Israelis, uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, spent at least part of the past night uh, in bomb shelters, um, sheltering from the ongoing barrage of rockets towards Tel Aviv uh, and the broader Tel Aviv metropolitan area, as well as other parts of the country. Um, as we're speaking, I can tell you that my alert uh, app on my phone is buzzing um, with notifications of additional rocket fire at various points throughout Southern Israel. This has been fairly constant. Uh, for the past 48 hours. There have been very few windows in which there's been no rocket fire at all. Um, and so uh, there has really been no situation over the past 48 hours in which uh, no Israeli has been targeted in some way. It's, uh, it, at every point in the past 48 hours, there have been at least some Israelis that have been under direct threat uh, from Hamas and the Palestinian Islamic Jihad in Gaza. 
Um, and the situation is quite tenuous. Um, Israel has, of course, responded. Um, it announced a short while ago that it took out uh, four very senior members, four top commanders of Hamas uh, in the Gaza Strip, in addition to some other figures who had been killed uh, previously. It's released footage of airstrikes targeting Hamas facilities um, in the Gaza Strip. It's, of course, important to note um, that Israel makes sure to target only uh, those facilities that are directly associated with terrorist activity. It would never, under any circumstances, intentionally target civilians. Um, and we know that because there's actually a video um, of a Palestinian man uh, who, was, who was a guard at a uh, building in uh, Gaza receiving a phone call from the Israeli military in which they instructed him uh, to inform the residents of that building that it was going to be targeted um, and gave, them, gave him ample time to uh, inform them and clear the, the residents of that building. And indeed, uh, no civilians were hurt in that attack. Um, this is this is, goes to the very core of what Israel is and what Israel stands for, and it's it's part of the very essential difference between Israel um, and the terrorist organizations uh, it confronts. Um, while Israel will go to tremendous lengths not only to protect its own civilians by means of uh, the uh, Iron Dome system and and other uh, mechanisms, but Palestinian civilians as well, um, Hamas will go to no no shortage of lengths in order to not only harm Israeli civilians, but to harm its own civilians as well, because we know, and they know, um, that any Palestinian death is going to reflect poorly on Israel and will increase international pressure on Israel, which of course is a Hamas win as well. Um, so that's a situation with which we're contending and the situation remains quite tenuous. Yeah, it's a really stark contrast between how the IDF goes about things versus Hamas, it's so true. Um, and we saw the IDF name this operation the Operation Guardian of the Wall. And as you mentioned, we see rocket fire all day into Israel, including into Tel Aviv um, this Wednesday morning, which was the first time since 2018. And we see three dead as a result of direct hit in Lod and Rishon Letzion. So others from the Palestinian side and from the Gaza Strip have made claims for a third intifada or uprising in Israel and um, has indicated it will not enter a ceasefire anytime soon. So are we expecting a long-term conflict between Israel and Hamas? Do we know yet? Um, or is this kind of expected to settle down? And how has this been different than confrontations have been over the past few years? Um, look, this is, uh, I, I think, as you may know, it's not a rare occurrence for there to be a flare-up instigated by Hamas um, that involves barrage rockets focused on Israeli cities and towns. It is relatively rare um, that those barrages target Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. Um, I think it, it's been quite a long time since both, both those cities were indeed targeted by Hamas rockets, and so that in and of itself represents a very significant escalation. Uh, we can only hope that it will end sooner rather than later. Uh, that is entirely on Hamas's shoulders. It is entirely up to Hamas um, to end this conflict, uh, to end this round of hostilities. Um, should it make an announcement that it will no longer engage in hostilities with Israel, that it will no longer target Israeli civilians, that it will uh, disarm uh, and put its uh, its, its efforts to more productive use, certainly Israel will stand down as well. It is entirely dependent on what Hamas chooses to do. Um, I suspect and I fear uh, that we are not at the end of it and that this could go on for several more days, if not beyond.
Great. Thank you. Um, so recently, the executive director of uh, the Human Rights Watch, Kenneth Roth, um, had condemned an Israeli airstrike that leveled a 13-story residential building in Gaza that the Israeli government claims has Hamas political leadership, just as you touched on uh, previously, that four high-ranking Hamas officials were targeted and assassinated by Israel. Um, can you provide a little bit of, uh, of how Israel determines a proportionate response and also give a, a communications perspective on how Israel um, needs to navigate itself forward um, to have a, a better outlook in the international media during flare-ups like we've seen in the last couple of days? There's, there's a common misunderstanding uh, about what a, a proportional response actually means. A proportional response doesn't mean uh, that if Hamas fires one rocket, then Israel may fire one rocket in return. That's not how this works. Proportional response is uh, the amount of, uh, of force that is necessary proportionate to the achievement of a certain military goal. Um, and so when uh, Israel determines that it must take out a certain Hamas figure in order to maintain its national security, committed by international law to exercise that force which is necessary in order to achieve that objective certainly while taking whatever precautions are necessary in order to avoid civilian casualties and other collateral damage. Um, so in the case of this building, um, it had determined that the building was uh, the headquarters of several Hamas units. It was a dual purpose building, which means that it was used by both civilians and Hamas, which of course is part of Hamas's MO. Uh, by embedding itself in civilian areas, it ensures that uh, its figures are relatively safe, while of course endangering the civilians in those parts of the city. Um, but in this particular case, uh, Israel determined that it couldn't uh, allow the uh, operations that were taking place in that building to continue, which is why it gave the residents, the occupants of that building, uh, ample warning and then flattened it. Um, Ken Roth is not a fair arbiter of anything regarding the conflict. He's been viewed by many as not only hostile to Israel, but in some cases border, bordering on anti-Semitic, um, as I wouldn't really take seriously anything that he says. Um, but to your broader point about how Israel indicates this, I think it's important not only for Israel, but for Israel's supporters um, to, to focus on context and to insist on context, um, that this didn't start yesterday, it didn't start two days ago, it didn't start in Sheikh Jarrah, it didn't even start in Jerusalem. Um, it started on a fundamental level more than 70 years ago, with the, the, the refusal of the Palestinian leadership to countenance the existence of any Jewish state in any part of the country, and it continues to this day. Um, and that is uh, part of Hamas's ideology, the refusal to allow the existence of any Jewish state in any part of this land. Um, there are uh, elements of Hamas's charter uh, that call for murdering every Jew in the world. Uh, these are things that people should know, and these are things that we need to talk about, um, because it's not a fair fight in the sense that one side is a liberal democracy uh, that views itself as constrained by international law and basic morality, and the other is a terrorist organization that's holding uh, over a million civilians hostage um, with its ultimate goal of chaos, destruction, and death. And I think that that's a point that needs to be made constantly. Um, and as we engage in conversations in social media, um, with friends and colleagues or wherever it might be, um, that we need to be making clear that this is not 
a, a, a fight between two equal partners, that there is a right and there is a wrong. This is not the time for moral relativism or for both sidesism or both sides are wrong. No, not both sides are wrong. One side is wrong. And if that side were to put down its weapons and commit to a peaceful future, there would be one. Um, and only one, once we reach that point, will we be able to say that both sides are truly able to live at peace. Thank you for that sentiment. I think a lot of people um, around us right now are really suffering. The ones that aren't in Israel, we're seeing so much um, propaganda and just media, um, just fights on Instagram and Twitter and everything. So I'm glad that you kind of explained that. Um, so Abby, for our last question, I wanna ask you, in addition to the rocket fire and strikes um, in Gaza, we've seen a lot of clashes in diversified cities like Lod, which declared a state of emergency on Tuesday night. Arab rioting resulted in the torching of three synagogues and various shops and vehicles. These clashes between Israeli Arabs, Jewish Israelis, and police resulted in the death of two, including a seven-year-old child. Three Jewish men were arrested on Tuesday over the fatal shooting of an Arab man on Monday night. So what factors politically Given Israel's coalition negotiations and internally, like riots throughout the country, can we expect to influence the forecast of this ongoing escalation? Well, I'd rather not, not get into uh, domestic Israeli politics. That's not really my forte. But what I will say is that this is an extremely uh, dangerous um, and, and worrisome development. Um, this, the scenes that we've seen over the past two or three days um, from those cities that have mixed Jewish and Arab populations have been extremely troublesome. Um, scenes of uh, synagogues going up in flames, of violent rioters uh, going through the streets, uh, stories of Jewish families huddled in their homes for fear of, of going outdoors. Um, this certainly cannot continue. And of course, the Israeli government has said that it will not continue. Um, they've declared a state of emergency in Lod, which is a central Israeli city not far from Tel Aviv, in which many of these riots have been taking place. Um, they're apparently considering announcing a similar state of emergency in the city of Akko, further to the north. Um, they are uh, increasing police reinfor reinforcements in these places, but more importantly, um, they're appealing to the Arab leadership in Israel to quell tensions, to call on the young people uh, not to engage in violence, to protest peacefully if they see fit. Um, Israel uh, is a, a tapestry of many different types of people, of many faiths and backgrounds and nationalities. Um, we live in a very delicate uh, uh, form of coexistence, and anything like this has the potential of tremendous long-term harm. Um, and so I certainly hope, and I know most Israelis do as well, um, that those tensions are uh, able to be quelled and that we're able to resume that peaceful coexistence in the near future. Since the time of this interview recording on Wednesday, there have been multiple updates on the ground. Mass rioting has continued into the evening in mixed Jewish and Arab cities across Israel, including Lod, Akko, Tiberias, and Badiam. Arab extremists torched another synagogue in Lod, with Israeli President Reuven Rivlin referring to the situation as a pogrom reminiscent of anti-Semitic mob attacks against Eastern European Jewish communities. Six far-right extremists were arrested after nearly lynching an Arab man in Badyam as it was televised live on Israeli news. The man is currently in critical condition. These riots have received broad condemnation from various Israeli leaders, including opposition leader Yair Lapid, Yamina party head Naftali Bennett, and Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Police say some 374 people were arrested across Israel in connection to rioting, and 36 cops were injured. 
In addition, rocket fire continued Wednesday into Israel as another barrage rained down on Tel Aviv and southern cities, injuring 20 and killing a five-year-old boy in Sderot. An IDF soldier was killed by Hamas anti-tank guided missile earlier in the day. Hamas claims the Wednesday night barrage is in response to an Israeli airstrike in Gaza that leveled a 14-story building, which Israel alleges housed Hamas military intelligence and communication infrastructure. Gaza authorities say 65 Palestinians have been killed, including 16 children, since Israeli retaliations in Gaza began. This is still an evolving escalation, and things are changing rapidly on the ground. Thank you so much to everybody for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode powered by Hasbro Fellowships and make sure to follow us at Ready Set Israel on all of our social media platforms to keep up with the latest news about our podcast. Until next Thursday, that's Ready, Set, Israel.